everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully, once again, for many of you, uh, joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report. And I've said this a couple of times because I want people listening to understand how we view uh, our platform. And we, we say, you know, it's, it's not just a daily report, okay? And it's not a newsletter. Um, it really is a, I'd like to call it a knowledge platform uh, from which, you know, we communicate thought leadership on a lot of different strategic topics. Uh, yes, through our reports, but also these podcasts, webinars, and hopefully live events uh, when fall comes around. We'll get back into live events. So anyway, along with our chief strategist, uh, Shelly Cohan, who is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our weekly podcast, which is coming from, uh, quote, unquote, the nest, little play in words there, uh, the Robin Report Recording Studios. Uh, today's topic <clears throat> is made in America or buy in America. And Shelley, as, as you know, there is a lot of economic history uh, on this topic, as well as domestic and geopolitical issues, actually. And of course, all of those narratives end up affecting retail and its ultimate relationship with the consumer. And to give you, to give our listeners some context, I, I think this is important. Um, <laughs> once upon a time in America, uh, actually primarily post-World War II, 1945, through the early 80s, America was a manufacturing or production-driven economy, okay? Manufacturing was big time in this country. Um, and as we also, post-World War II, helped the rest of the war-torn world back on its feet. In fact, those post-World War II years, for some 30 years, uh, the U.S. had the most explosive growth of any country in all of modern history. Uh, it was incredible. And actually, it was leading up to the early 80s when we experienced a GDP growth rates of about, about 7%. Then in the early 80s, um, things shifted. Population and demand started to slow, uh, while the shop floors, so to speak, the manufacturing pro production did not. Consumer-facing industries were turning out more supply than demand dictated. So businesses, with slower organic growth, had to figure out how to cut costs while increasing marketing to create demand. And by the way, with all of this explosive growth in the US, strong unions were forming, and guess what? Wages were rising. So the good news, of course, is we had a very strong middle class making enough money uh, to enjoy a nice living with some, some left over for savings. And then we flipped from a manufacturing-driven GDP to a consumption-driven economy. 70% uh, of the GDP, GDP today is consumption. The bad news, in order to cut costs, to be able to cut prices, to fight for share in an overstored country, 
we gave up our shop floor to low-cost producing countries. Mind you, they didn't steal it. Uh, we gave it to them. That's right. So then, yeah, <laughs> I know. I just want to remind people of that. Anyway, and I was I was at VF Corporation during those years, and uh, sure enough, um, they, they you know nobody stole their jobs. They decided that they couldn't continue to compete unless they gave all their sourcing, all the production to uh, most of it to China, of course. And um, Shelley, as we now, as we entered the technology age, and little did we know in the early aughts, and up to that fateful day when Steve Jobs on a big stage in San Francisco launched the iPhone, little did we know what havoc in fundamental transformations would be uh, driven by big tech. And by the way, as an aside, I'm not getting political here, but Trump's attempt at tariff wars to bring manufacturing back to the US really never got off the ground and would not have worked anyway because consumers would not swallow higher prices, period. That's right, Robin. And did you recall, do you remember the Crafted with Pride Council? That was oh, back in- Very, very well. <laughs> I think it's it was back in 1984, and they actually conducted a lot of consumer surveys um, about this whole crafted with pride you right. know, in America campaigns and stuff. And what's interesting, if you actually read through the surveys, listen to this, Robin, uh, it, one of the survey findings was if quality and price are equal, most Americans say they will buy U.S.-made products if alerted to the country of origin. Well, of course, Robin, if quality and price are equal, of course, most Americans are going to buy U.S. Uh, products. The key thing being price and quality being equal. But I think Correct. you're opening. Yeah, go ahead. Right? Yeah. So I think your opening today really creates a great context for serving up the tech era and the issues it raises and how this push for made in America can be a double-edged sword. On the one hand, we do have those who seem to believe consumers would actually pay higher price if they knew things were made here in the U.S. and it would bring jobs back to the U.S. market. But on the business side and on the retail side, practicality sets in. They know customers will not pay higher prices. The proof of the pudding is in the 90s, crafted with pride in America, Drive was launched and supported heavily by Roger Milliken, the CEO of Milliken Textiles. They figured the crafted with pride in America label on apparel would be enough to get consumers to pay more for apparel. So if you have two jeans sitting next to each other that are identical, one made in America, that's $10 more, and the one made in China that consumers would buy the one made in America for $10 more. Well, that's not what panned out, it flopped. But I think today, Robin, with technology combined with consumers wanting more new products more often, they want them when and how they want them. And because technology really empowers retailers, it's really allowing retailers to deliver what consumers are wanting in a very expeditious time frame, whether it's two days, two hours, and now I hear delivery being 10 minutes. 
So we've really expedited this whole uh, delivery piece. And so this is really forcing brands to deliver everything the consumers want, but at a fair price. So it's a tall task. So that's what I say. It's a tall task. Anyway, this suggests that (laughs) retailers and brands also using technology, they now actually do have ways that they can take costs out of supply chain. They can drive shorter production cycles for new products more often. There's more inventory transparency from production through consumption, which also can drive lower costs and even higher efficiencies. And it can drive up speed, you know, last mile delivery in minutes. Absolutely, Shelley. So, you know, tech is kind of like the industrial revolution 100 years ago. Tech is the new tech revolution and it's changing everything. And what you just pointed out is really key that tech can allow retailers and brands <laughs> to cut costs in other ways than sending, uh, finding low cost production um, around the world. Um, so is this, con- is this awakening among consumer facing industries? Cause I think they're waking up to this and our retailers is, do you think this is what's driving some of them to move from offshore sourcing to what many are calling near shoring and some of them actually are bringing their manufacturing back to the United States. Yes, but let me just go back. I just want to clarify one point. Let me preference one thing. There are some companies that have this whole brand ethos and reason for its establishment completely centered around American made, which produce quality products at a higher price and the consumer is actually willing to pay for it. So an example would be American Giant. With founder Bayard Winthrop, who grew up in the 70s when there were these great American brands like Levi's and Woolrith and others. Um, But he had a connection to this kind of American idea and these American brands. Well, 40 years later, you know, he moves to the Bay Area and he sees all this innovation happening with tech startups and the tech startups disrupting retail and other industries. And because his background, Winthrop's background was in manufacturing, he was actually told that we as a country are not able to make a sweatshirt in North Carolina. So uh, he found that to be unacceptable. And that really spurred him to create a company where his merchandise is made in the US. And so his whole idea was to create a business that would unlock the great quality American manufacturing at scale. So once he got his head around that, there was no going back for him. So he created American Giant 10 years later. This still holds true. And customers do pay $118 for, quote unquote, the greatest hoodie ever made. And they're willing to spend $40 on a T-shirt. So there is a market for products like this. And I think this also plays into this idea of slow fashion, buy quality and buy less. Yeah, 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 for sure. But the the important thing here is that was built into the brand eco DNA from the very beginning. So, So it isn't just, they aren't separate, they're integrated concepts, uh, building a brand with, with quality and price built into it. 
that that are are of fair value for all consumers. So they are willing to pay a little more. So I agree with you totally. And of course, no one in our industry can forget um, Patagonia, their, their, their marketing campaign. You remember it? And don't wear our jacket. I mean, the whole brand is built around quality and buying less. Less is more. And by the way, they do some of its manufacturing in the U.S., but mostly is done across 15 other countries. And there are these brands that uh, do command a higher price and high, higher quality, but, but thinking also about the masses, okay, and broader markets. Consumers are not going to buy American-made uh, unless the pricing or value of the product meets their budgets. I mean, the whole point is that both consumers and retailers are not doing it. In other words, consumers are not paying higher prices and manufacturers and retailers are not moving production back to the U.S. to be patriotic. Technology is driving efficiencies, as you mentioned, and productivity such that they can do production in the U.S. even with higher labor costs because they are able to lower costs in other ways. And the consumer will pay a bit higher prices because they are getting more new, more newness, more often, faster, et cetera, and so forth, and better quality. Right, well, uh, Doug McMillan in the second quarter earnings call for Walmart discussed its new commitment to support US manufacturing with the goal of purchasing over $350 billion in products locally in the next 10 years. So locally means products that are either made, right. grown, or assembled in the U.S. market. So their plan is to add over 750,000 new American jobs and avoiding over 100 million metric tons of carbon emissions. Now, Walmart's, Walmart's great in this area, and they are really charging ahead and, 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 you know, paving new ground, if you will. Of course, you know, the, the, the big question, I think uh, one of our people wrote an article about this, uh, the three, where is the $350 billion in what types of products uh, are they going to be uh, uh, purchasing in that $350 billion? Some of the big questions were, you know, is this going to be a grocery homegrown or they, so, so, there is an issue there is a good, decent question. Anyway, um, that is a great plan. Um, but I will also tell you for, for sure, Shelly, that the Walmart customer is not gonna pay higher prices. That's another thing uh, built into the D DNA. Walmart's entire branding and competitive advantage is centered on low pricing. The only reason that Walmart can bring products back to the US market over the next 10 years is due to the large investments in supply chain efficiencies and technology investments. And read between the lines that the products may be grown or assembled in the U.S., but not 100% of them are made in the U.S. That's true, Robin. Even Chewy, you know, Chewy, the online pet store, um, yeah. they distinguish between made in USA and crafted in USA. You know, made in the USA means it's 100% made here in the USA. Crafted in the USA <laughs> means that it's designed here, but can be assembled somewhere else. Right. Um, 
So lots of terminology. It's interesting. But also, by the way, Robin, I don't know if you saw the National Retail Federations. I'm sure you did. They oh, uh, revised yeah. forecasts uh, for GDP, which is really interesting. It was released about a month ago. But let me give some historical perspective first. So the U.S. GDP in 2018 was 3%. In 2019, it dropped to 2.2%. Last year, you know, negative 3.5%. Um, but for 2021, the NRF is expecting the GDP for U.S. to approach 7%. This, yeah. is, this is the highest that it will have been since 1984 when it was 7.2%. Uh, and ironically, that's the same year Crafted with Pride campaign was established. <laughs> Well, Shelly, it's great news. It really is. But you know me, and I'm typical of me, I'm going to hold my optimism at arm's length. Uh, due to a post-pandemic pent-up demand surge, uh, I think we're going to see that. I think it's, and that's great. And that's great. But I'm a, I'm a, a cynic on growth. I'm, I actually buy into, you know, the fame famed economist Larry Summers, who uh, a couple of years ago, even before the pandemic, who aside from short, the short-term surge, which I think we're going to have, and inflation, which he says we will have, um, I believe, as he said over the long term, he said the economy will settle into a long-term secular stagnation. Uh, he coined those words, of 2 to 3% GDP. Uh, anyway, uh, that aside, I'm very optimistic about what we pointed out today. Uh, to sum it up, technology is going to advance retailing into a world of less is more, but miraculously more profitable because they now have the capability of aligning their business models and innovation with that of our new young consumers, and the world will be better off for it. Well said, Robin. For our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I also want to thank all of you for listening in today. And I hope you keep, keep coming back week after week. Uh, we're really trying to hit on all the important topics in the industry and all the strategic issues that come up. And as I've uh, asked for before, uh, if any of you out there has a hot topic that you would like us to cover, please email it to me at robin at the robinreport.com. Thanks again. <laughs>